So Genesis chapter 15, I'm going to pray, and then we'll get in our passage for today. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for this, this chapter in Genesis uh, 15 is such a, a significant chapter as we covered it two weeks ago. And Lord, I pray that as we uh, review uh, what we covered two weeks ago and press forward in this chapter, Father, I pray that you would uh, open our, our minds, our thinking, our hearts, our wiring um, so that we would truly reach the place in our life where we understand what grace is, um, that we would come to truly understand that our relationship with you isn't based on what we do, but it's based on what you have done and are responding to you by faith, believing you, trusting you. Um, this is a lesson that we need over and over and over again. Uh, it just doesn't fit with our thinking and our understanding and our economy of how we do life. And so, Father, I pray that you would just continue to open our minds, expand our thinking and our understanding of who you are, uh, that your holiness, your mercifulness, your kindness, your love towards us. And so, Father, I pray that you would help the gospel to truly come alive in the way we live our lives and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to read Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. This is what we covered two weeks ago, and I'm just going to kind of start with these to, to set the stage. <clears throat> After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am, your sh- I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, What will you give me, since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he, Abram, believed in the Lord, and he, God, reckoned it to him as righteousness. And Father, we do thank you and praise you for your word and this this passage that is so significant. We ask that you would lead us and teach us now, and it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right, so Genesis 15, it begins with this God approaching Abram, reminding him of the promise that he gave previously back in Genesis chapter 12. We, we, un, we understand this as the, the Abrahamic covenant. It's a significant covenant that God made to Abram uh, that ultimately we as Christians are grafted into this promise. We become heirs of Abraham. We learn this in the New Testament. And so God reminds Abram of of his promise to him. He tells him not to fear. He had just concluded a war in chapter 15. He'd, he'd gone against like, I think it was five or six different kings. And so there's reason for him to be sort of concerned that there might be retaliation and God approaches him and says, everything's going to be okay. Do not fear. The first time the Bible uses this phrase, the Bible repeats this phrase some like 85 times throughout the whole of the Bible that God consistently tells his people, don't be afraid. 
I'm with you. And so now Abram heard the reminder, but he was also facing two problems. He was getting kind of old, and his wife was barren. And so he says, God, I understand that you've given this promise. I don't know what you're going to give to me. I have everything I need. I have stuff. I'm not concerned about financial blessing. What I'm concerned about is you've given this promise that through, through me and my wife, we're going to have a child, and there's going to be a descendant, and through this descendant, there's going to be a nation that's born. There's going to be great things that are going to bless the world, bless my family, and all of this stuff. And I don't see how you're going to fulfill this. And at this point in my life, there's an individual who lives in our house who is entitled to inherit everything. And, and this is going to be the one who will get everything, but it won't fulfill the promise that you gave. And so God assured Abram, like, settle down, Abram. You're going to have a child. And all of these things will come true. And in, the, in verse 6, Ab, not Abram, like the Bible records that Abram believed in the Lord. And at that point, God credited to Abram righteousness. Not because of anything that he had done, but simply because he trusted in the word in which God spoke. Two weeks ago, we launched to the New Testament and we looked at Romans 4. Paul in his great case on Christianity and explaining how things work before God He showed that it's never been about works. Our humanity's relationship with God has never been based on their doing good things so that God then would let them have relationship with him. He says, based on Abram, Abram responded by faith. The very earliest individual really in the Bible that, uh, as, as the patriarchs are concerned, Abram walked with God by faith. God credited to righteous, God credited to Abram his faith as righteousness. And so Paul makes this case in Romans chapter 4. He again, in Genesis chapter, or Genesis, Galatians chapter 3, the same thing. He said, the law was never intended to save us. The law was only to cause you frustration and to force you to realize your sinfulness. It was a tutor that leads us to Christ. And so if you missed that or you have questions about that, I'd encourage you to listen to the message from two weeks ago so that you can be reminded of the things that were said. So we pick up in verse 7. Abram had just responded by faith. He trusted. He's looked up to the stars. He sees all the stars. He doesn't understand necessarily how it's going to work. But in the moment of God speaking, he trusts. He believes what God said will will be, and he'll work it out. Then we come to verse 7. And he said to him, God said to Abram, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. So God begins with I am. This, this, these two words we see throughout the Bible when God and Jesus sort of, there are these moments when people say, well, who are you? And they respond, I am. I am God. And that's enough. Like, that's all you need with these two words. If, if God is, he can do whatever he wants. But God's going to expand a little bit to Abram. He said, I am the one who brought you out of Ur. We're, we're backing up the story as they, as they, from Genesis 12. They came uh, kind of northeast on the, in Israel, way out of Israel. They came down into the promised land. And he says, I brought you into this land, which you're going to take possession. Uh, 
I brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land. So I moved you from one place to this new place, and this is the land of promise. Everything's going good up to verse 8. And in verse 8, we see Abram asking a question. He said, O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? And I love this. Two verses earlier, Abram has all the faith in the world. Abram responds perfectly, beautifully, so much so that the whole New Testament sort of launches from this reality of his faith. Two verses later, Abram's going, how's this going to work out? I got... <laughs> so somehow in his faith, he still has some questions. And, and I love that the Bible, in these characteristics, he's turning off the fan that's zapped me a bunch of times. It's like driving him crazy. He's like, well, you know, this... Um, Abram responds in faith, then he doubts. We respond in faith, and then we doubt, right? Or is it just me? <laughs> like, and, and I love this. Like, the people in the Bible are people. They're, they're not perfect. Only Jesus is perfect. Only God is perfect. Our faith is not in ourselves. Our faith is in a perfect God. The God who delivers, our faith is imperfect. Our faith is shallow and shifts and kind of meanders. And as we go through our life, I think our faith grows and develops and matures. But it's a process. A Guzik, a pastor said this about this, which I really liked. Abram experienced what many of those who are accounted righteous do. It was if he said, I believe when I hear God say it, but five minutes later, I'm not sure. Please prove it to me. And so for even... People of faith, there's room for doubt and question and concerns and things that we sort of fall short. So if you're a, a, a person of faith, if you've trusted in Christ as your Lord and you go through life and you get, you fill in the blank with whatever, something falls apart in your world, whether it's your, your stuff or your body and there's concerns and fears, like God's used to us coming to him saying, Lord, I really am struggling right now. I don't know how this is going to work out. I love the story in the New Testament where Jesus approaches this man and, they, and he, the guy accidentally responds to Jesus, if you can. And Jesus is like, if I can. And the guy's like, listen, help my unbelief. Like, Lord, help me. And I think this is so much the picture of the New Testament. And here we see sort of like Abram going like, I know that God spoke it, I believe it, but I don't see how it's going to work out. Abram doesn't have the Bible. He, do, he doesn't have a contract with God. He doesn't have anything he can like, see, touch, feel, like all he had was like this, however God was speaking to him in this moment, he had it. And then like two seconds later, it's like, it sounded really good in that moment. And I really did believe. But now here I am, a man that's like pushing 75, 79. I have a barren wife. Like, how's this going to like, the math just doesn't add up. How's, how's this going to work out? And so now God is about to transcend to, to Abram and to speak to him and to give him something in terms that he understands. And as, you know, forgive me for using this, he's going to cut a deal with them. Uh, you'll understand what I'm talking about in a second. You don't understand now, but he's going to slice a bunch of animals in half, which would make sense to Abram because that was their notary back then. And so I'm going on to verse 9. This section is not going to make any sense to us because this isn't how we uh, buy property. This isn't how we like sign legal contracts. Things have gotten way cleaner uh, today. Um, you can go to the next slide. Just a little picture. Some people like pictures. Some people like to read along. So we come to verse 9. 
And so he said to him, this is God speaking to Abram, uh, bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. So go get these things. At this moment, Abram knows exactly what's going on. And if this was today, God would say, I need you to go get me a notary. So we need to make a legal contract, a binding contract that we all understand. And you want to know how this is going to work. I'm going to explain to you how it's going to work. And now you'll have something that you can hold, touch, see, feel, remember. So then Abram brought all these things to him and cut them in two. And he laid each half opposite of the other, but he did not cut the birds. And the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. And so this is just a normal contract in these days. So just to let you guys know how it was done, they'd find a piece of land where there were sort of two hillsides, and they would get the animals, they would slice them in half from head to toe, they would put one half on each side, and then there'd be like a little pool of blood on the bottom. And so, hey, Daniel, since you already came on stage, can I get you again to come up here? So the stage is, you go over there, we'll face each other. So, so now the stage is covered in blood. All of these animals that we've just slaughtered in half. Daniel wants to buy my truck. He doesn't. <laughs> he wants to use payment method. And so he says, I'm going to pay you, what do we think? $30,000 for my 2000 truck? You know. <laughs> <laughs> so he says, I'm going to do this. And so we have all these animals sliced. And then what's going to happen is, instead of signing on the piece of paper, we're going to walk through this. And as we're walking back and forth, we're saying, if I sell him a bad truck or he doesn't come through the payments, then this is what's going to happen to us. And so we walk through a couple times and we're sealing the deal. And I think it's three times. I don't know. It sounds good to me. <laughs> you guys can go on Wikipedia. Thank you, Daniel, for being my... Uh... So, so this is what's happening. So Abram realizes as soon as this is done, God has made a covenant with Abraham and it's like, how's this going to go down? And now he's getting these items, and I think that he's getting a little bit concerned. Because this just sort of adds more questions to the situation. And like, I can't, I don't, like, I think Abram's like, how am I going to fulfill that? What am I supposed to, like, I can't do my, my, like, I think he's thinking my part is to have a kid. He's like, how am I going to do this? I can't, I can't pull this off. And so we read verse 12, and I love the color of this uh, like the words that are used to sort of paint an image. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. I don't think he was like out cold. I think he's getting drowsy. But the sun is setting, and as this is happening, he's just like overcome with like terror, fear, like anxiety, like what is happening? And he's like sort of at a dead end. There's no way out. There's nothing he can do. He doesn't know how to press forward. Just seeing this picture of the sun setting, it strikes a nerve with me. So when I went through Hell Week, one of the worst things the instructors did to me was when they didn't do anything at all. It was just a mind game. They would watch, they would march our class up to the Pacific Ocean at sunset, and they'd say, everybody wave to the sun. And we would wave to the sun because when the sun went away, there went our little heating blanket. And then we had to deal with the cold Pacific Ocean all night long, and they did it to us every single night for the five days, and it was the most horrific. So I hate sunset. Like, so my like, aunt's like, why don't you go to the beach anymore? Why do you think I don't go to the beach anymore? Like, I don't like, like the sun will be just like at that moment. Like, okay, kids, let's pack up. Time to go. It's like, there's gutter. Like, we need 30 more minutes. I'm like, I'll be in the car with the heater on. And so... So the situation shifting, the color, the mood, the darkness, this is all, things are all 
like getting real. And there's something about like the adrenaline that comes with panic. Yesterday something happened to me and I had to whittle the story in to like, I had to get this into the sermon somehow. And the reason I'm telling this story, just so I have the point of it, is like that panic feeling when you have adrenaline. So I told you about the wedding. The wedding was super wonderful, super meaningful. About an hour before the wedding, like when I was about time for me to get ready to start getting ready, I want to wait till the very last minute before I have to put on the monkey suit. Um, so it's the very, very last moment. My buddy Bay had just flown into town from the East Coast. So one of the, there was three of us. He's a retired Marine. I made the mistake two years ago. I was supposed to be at his retirement ceremony. And Gunner went from being in the military to being a civilian pretty quickly. Um, so he had texted us and said, hey, the retirement ceremony is at 1300. It's 1 o'clock. I made the mistake somehow of writing 3 o'clock into my calendar. Yeah. And so he's texting. He's like, hey, where are you, when are you coming? Where are you at? And I'm like, I'm at my house. I'm like, getting ready. Two years ago. And he's like, you're joking, right? And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm like, going to be, I'm going to be there early. Like it's at three o'clock. He's like, Gunnar, it's at one o'clock. I'm like, well, I guess I'm not doing the prayer. I guess I'll, I'll see you at the barbecue part. And so then yesterday, about an hour before the wedding, he sends me a picture of the invitation. He highlights the time. He's like, <laughs> he's like, like really busted my chops. So I save you guys the details, but I'm getting ready to get dressed. And so I go walk to my suit that's from the cleaners. The last time I used it was for Isaac's wedding. And, and, you know, when you take a suit to the dry cleaners, there's a jacket. And then where do the pants go? Inside of the jacket, right? So I'm walking up to the suit, open the jacket. The pants are gone. The tear that I was feeling in that moment. I mean, I scream, I'm like, eh, I mean, I'm not going to do it here, but I'm like, Anna, I need you here now, because like, when I got the new so- suit, I trashed all the old suits, because why would I ever need another suit again? <laughs> so I'm trying to think, like, do I wear shorts? Do, what do I do? Like, I've looked ever, she's looking, she's like, I'm going to go look at the bottom of the closet, maybe they slipped out, but I don't know how they slipped out, and there's like sheer tear, like, we've got to leave in, like, in 10 minutes. And I go, what am I going to do? Levi's on the bottom, shorts on the bottom? Just wear my skivvies down to the laundry mat and say, can I borrow some somewhere? It was horrific. Turns out they were on the backside of the hangar, and we found them. But the whole hour drive to the wedding, my heart is in my chest. I'm like shaking, like horrible. So I think this is how Abram felt. I mean, tear in great darkness. Like, I have to do the wedding. I can't not. So I'm thinking I'm going to go just do it like a, like a bring the mullet and, you know, business on top and, you know, party on the bottom. And I'm just going to like, because I can't not do this wedding. But I have no other like, I, 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 so from now on, when I take my suit to the cleaner, I'm going to make sure that the pants are there and I know where they are. The point is, Abram's terrified. I hope you can feel it now. <laughs> I, uh, I, and so the question is, like, why is he fearful? Like, why is he fearful in this, this, this moment? And I think Abram knew that this, this picture behind me, this, 
this was the covenant that God was setting up. The way this covenant went down is two individuals walked through it. If one didn't keep their side, then it meant death. And so Abram naturally thinks he's going to be one of the characters walking through these animals with God. And how in the world is he going to fulfill anything? Like, whatever it is. Like, how is he going to go his whole... Like, if if God simply said, here is one key, and you have to keep this key in your possession for your whole life, and so long as you do that, I will fulfill... Even if it was that simple, we couldn't do it. And so he's fearful. And so in verse 13, God said to Abram, know for certain, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. And so God starts with this like prophecy that's kind of bad news. He doesn't start with, you're going to have a child. You're going to have Isaac and everything's going to be okay. He's fast forwarding to Joseph, whose brothers sold him into slavery. And then they go down to Egypt and they had a good 30 year run. And then everything turned and they were in slavery for 400 years. So God sort of fast forwards to Abram, know for certain you will have descendants, biological descendants from, from you and Sarai. This will happen. They will be a nation. They're going to, they will be strangers in a land that's not theirs, speaking of Egypt, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. Verse 14, but I will also judge the nation Egypt. He doesn't say it here, but we know it historically. We will judge the nation whom they will serve. And afterward, they will come out with many possessions. And so this this point is, he's like, this, this nation that I've promised you in this covenant, they will have a rough time. They will spend four year, 400 years in captivity. But when they come out, they're going to come out with many possessions. Everything is going to be okay for them. Verse 15, but as for you, or as for you, you shall go to your forefathers in peace. In English, you're going to die. Just... Um, You shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. You're going to have a long, happy life, Abram. Verse 16, then in the fourth generation, they will return here. So now we've gone back to his descendants. Abram's not going to go with them down there. This is after Abram's time. The people that God has promised through Abram were going to go to Egypt. They're going to be enslaved for 400 years. The first 30 years, they weren't enslaved. They're going to go down there, they're going to come out, and they're going to return to the location that Abram was presently, and this deal was going down with God. They were going to return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. So somewhere in this, God is allowing the Amorites, he's allowing their sin to get worse and worse, he's allowing them to maybe uh, respond and get right with him, but he's allowing time, 400 years for them to get right. And God's saying, it's not, they're not going to get right. And at that time, 430 years from now, or I know it's longer than that, that's just the captivity period, that it'll be time for judgment on these people. 
so that in the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite people is not yet complete. They're going to return. I think that uh, Israel went into Egypt with something like 70 people, and they came out with, I don't want to say a bazillion, but a lot. Like, they came out with a lot. We know that it's a lot of people. And so when they come back, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. And God is going to then use Israel to then bring judgment on these people, but it's just not the time yet. So Abram has to be patient. Verse 17, it came about when the sun had set, and it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch, which passed between these pieces. Okay. So now remember, when Egypt came, when Egypt, when Israel came out of Egypt, how did God lead the nation of Egypt through the, the desert? During the daytime, there was like a little smoky thing that they followed, and at night, there was a little light that they followed. And so God's kind of revealing himself in this way. And so what happened, this demonstration up here, there's this situation, and there's two individuals, both God. There's this smoky, torchy thing, and then there's, let me just read it, the smoking oven and the flaming torch. And so these two pieces are passing back and forth in the blood. And this is super significant. Abram is not a part of the, the, the document sign. It's only God. God is sealing the deal. God is initiating this Abrahamic covenant alone without Abraham. But it's to Abram's benefit. So it's a bilateral sort of situation, meaning there's two sides to the agreement, but it's a unilateral covenant, meaning that God made these promises based on God's faithfulness and his word alone. What Abraham does or doesn't do doesn't affect these promises. This isn't a contract that can be broken because God is upstanding. Like he's holding both sides of this covenant together. And so then we read verse 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land. From the river of Egypt, as far as the great river Euphrates, the Canaanite, the can I get a volunteer? No, just, just, like, just confident. The Canaanite and the Kenizzite and the Kadomite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Rephaim and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Girgashite and the Jebusite. And the termites. So we're going to go to the next slide. I'm going to say the next slave. We're going to the next slide. Okay, so this slide, this is the land. The green sort of like uh, rectangle area. Masumenos, this is present-day Israel. So you have the Dead Sea down there. You have the, the, at the bottom, there's the Dead Sea. Then you have the Sea of Galilee at the north. I just put this little square here. So this is like ballpark of where Israel is today. The red lines represent, the red line down here is the Nile River and down in Egypt. And then you have the River Euphrates on the north, which goes to the Persian Gulf. The, the reason I bring this up is so we're very quick to recognize the significance that Israel exists today after not existing for like 2,000 years. Like following World War II, when Israel was created as a nation again, because of the Holocaust, the world said, okay, we're going to let Israel have its land back. So we're very quick to like praise God that Israel exists. It's a, it's a miracle. The problem is how much... The, the promise that God made is between the two red lines. So how much land are we sort of short today? There's a lot. 
Um, so I'm not going to like give a whole lot of commentary on this other than the, the, the reason that you'll find Israel in the news so much is not because of uh, newsworthy events. It's because of spiritual events. Like the world is fighting over this little piece of land because God back in Genesis 15 said, this, 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 these people of Israel, I'm going to give them this territory. This is a part of the Abrahamic covenant. And so something's going to give because like I'm pretty sure the Jordan, which is this nation over here, they don't really want to give up the land. Um, Lebanon, which is to the north, they don't want to give up the land. They were going into like Kuwait and I thankfully I don't travel there anymore to a lot of those countries. But there's a whole world surrounding Israel that wants them wiped from the face of the earth. And yet we have Genesis 18 through 21 where God says, based on what? Based on him, himself, his own covenant, I will give this land to you. And so I'm not a prophet. I'm just a guy that reads the Bible and the Bible says that God's going to deliver this land to Israel someday. And this promise hasn't been fulfilled yet. And the church hasn't replaced Israel. And so somehow in the midst of all of this, God's word is still firm. And somehow in human history, this is going to unfold. We're just, you know, maybe you'll be here, maybe you won't. But even if you're not, if you're a believer, you'll be with Jesus, so you'll watch it unfold. So. Um, just your, it just depends what seats do you have. That's like the, that's the big, uh, so he gives them this promise to hold the deal. The, now the, the notary has stamped the, the, the covenant. Abram has the promise before him. This covenant is so significant. It's going to like expand throughout human history, throughout the new Testament. The covenant's not going to expand, but like kind of like our understanding through the new Testament. And so, like, what do we do with this? Like, why are we doing communion today? And so when I look at the story and sort of, like, try to figure out the significance for today, last, or not last week, two weeks ago when we looked at the first six verses, I focused there because it was really important for us to understand that our relationship with God is based upon faith. It's not based upon our works. It's not based upon being a good person. It's based upon the work of Jesus. Jesus's work alone is what saves us. Our faith, our trusting him for that is critical that we understand that because if you believe in that or you think that your salvation is based upon your works, for an outsider looking in, they look the same. And they'd be like, this is kind of semantical. And so a lot like being raised Catholic, talking with so many of my family members that are raised Catholic, they're like, you're just, it doesn't matter. It's the same thing. And it's like, no, 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 no. This is like vastly different. Like the things that I'm doing and because of what Jesus did is very different than I'm doing these things because I want to have peace with God and I'm trying to earn my way. And if I don't do these things, then I don't have peace with God and it, that I'm not saved and I, and I don't have a relationship. They're hugely different. And the Bible makes it clear, Paul makes this huge case that our relationship with God, our peace with God is based upon what Jesus did on the cross alone. We simply believe or reject. And so in this story, Abram and Sarai were as good as dead. God gives a promise, they were as good as dead. They're, they're useless. So are we. 
The Bible says in Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 9, that we are dead in our sins and trespasses. There is nothing that we can do. If you want to save yourself, you can't. We are like a dead fish that's floating down the river saying, I'm going to save myself. There's nothing a dead fish can do. God did for us what we can't do. And so we have to guard ourselves from falling into this trap of trying to do something for our relationship with God instead of doing something because of what God has done for us to have this relationship. And so the Abraham covenant is by faith. This, this sort of this, this brotherhood or community of faith, it started in Abraham for us as we have Christ. The Bible tells us that we're now grafted in as Abraham's children. And the covenant of Jesus' blood is by faith alone, period. And so we're going to take communion. It's this time for us to, to remember and to reflect like what Jesus did. Before I go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you do have your Bibles, you can go there. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 33. I want to read to you uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 through 21. And so the author of Hebrews, as they're concluding their letter, they write this. Uh, Now the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant. We see this word covenant, that through Jesus' blood, God is making another covenant with his people. Even Jesus, our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his goodwill, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and amen. So as we take communion, and you're in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, why do we do this? It is super significant that we understand uh, what what is happening with this. Uh, I always take it backwards. In In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 27, there we read, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. That means they've died. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brethren, when you come together, eat and wait for one another. So the first thing we're told as we take communion, this is our time to sort of stand before the Lord and to recognize his perfection, our imperfection. This is a time for us to confess, to sort of just to renew our relationship with him to say, you know what, Lord, I'm not, I'm not in your presence. I'm still in this fallen sinful body. I miss the mark all the time. These are areas in my life that I'm struggling in. The things that I'm doing that I don't want to do, I know you don't want me to do, but I keep falling back in the trap. Lord, help me to not do these. Lord, I confess this as sin to you, and I need your help. And if you're drawing a blank on anything to confess, I always, I always help you guys with, with one thing you can start with is pride. Uh, because like, None of us are perfect. We all struggle in one area or another. None of us are God. God is holy. If you can't think of anything, um, 
you have, there's room for you to grow to be more positive in my speaking, is that there's room for you to grow in understanding God's holiness and how, how awesome he is. We, none of us measure up to God, and that's the standard. And so we're told as we, we do this, we're reminded of Jesus and his holiness and his perfection and, and that he was without sin. And none of us are at that level. And so there are things that we just, it's a time for us to humble ourselves to think, Lord, I need you to continue the work that you started in my life. Then we go up to verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so we have a little wafer, the little juice box before us that's dangerous. I'm going to start working on mine now. I wore a white shirt. That was a bad idea. Um, <clears throat> so we're told that when we have the little, the little cracker and the little juice, all this is is cracker and juice. There's nothing significant in its essence. We're told that we're to do this in remembrance of what Jesus did. The cracker is to remind us of his body that was nailed to the cross. It was brutally beaten. And we're told that it was beaten for our sins, that the wrath of God was being poured out upon him. And then the juice is another symbol. And as I read, it's a new covenant in my blood. Previously, there was a law. Animals were being slaughtered and sacrificed over and over and over again. They would go through the process And immediately as they concluded the process, it had to start over again because sins were piling up for the world. And so Jesus says, this is a new covenant. You no longer have to slaughter animals as a, as this covering, as a reminder of your sin. He said, I am going to the cross. My blood will be spilled as my body is broken. God's wrath will be satisfied. And there's a new covenant in my blood that it's once and for all, you believe and you're secure. Satan will tell you, oh, no, no, no. Do you remember that sin? Oh, yeah, I know you believe, but what about that thought you had today? You're disqualified. None of us are qualified. We're not qualified in our own works. What qualifies us is this: what this symbol represents, Jesus' blood, or his body, excuse me. His body was broken, My sins were paid for, past, present, and future. I believe this by faith. Even if I have doubts along the way like Abram did, the scriptures tell me, I did this for you. We have the covenant. This is an eternal covenant. It's once and for all. Jesus' death on the cross was sufficient for you, past, present, future. We can cling to him and we can rely on him. The final part of communion that's so often overlooked is verse 26. We're reminded of the commission that God has given to us as his followers. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we've received his grace, we're forgiven, we're clean, white as snow, but we're also told, go therefore and make disciples. There's a world out there that is dying. They're separated from God. And God says, I love them, I died for them, and I've commissioned you to go and to share. 
your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers be a light. And so with that, we'll pray and then we'll take the elements. Father, we do thank you. Lord, for these covenants that we see throughout the Bible, that we see this uh, one of these first one or two early covenants, but certainly the most significant, this, this covenant with Abraham that you've made that we have been adopted to and as, as believers in Christ. Father, we thank you, Lord. In this story today, we, we see Abram have his moment of responding to you in faith and you crediting his account uh, with righteousness that is not his own, that's yours. And then two verses later, we see him with his doubts and his kind of his questions about how is this all going to work out? And as we, as your children in this room, Lord, as we have trusted in Christ, we hold this little cracker and this juice. We can so identify with Abram that we believe, I I totally and completely believe that Jesus died for my sins. And in this moment, I'm right there. And tomorrow morning, something will happen and my mind will wonder and my faith will sort of trip up. And I thank you, Lord, that our salvation and our relationship with you isn't based upon our sufficiency, our being able to, to believe perfectly and to walk by faith without stumbling. We thank you that this covenant that we have entered into by faith is based on your work, not our own. And so, Father, we thank you for the broken body of Christ. We thank you that it was sufficient for our relationship with you. Father, I pray that you would help us to grow in this understanding that we would know for certain and that we would believe this as we live our lives, that Jesus died for us and it was sufficient. And Father, we thank you for the eternal covenant, that this is a once and for all covenant, that Jesus' death on the cross was good for today, yesterday, and tomorrow. We thank you that our security is found in you alone. Father, I also pray that you would continue to grow in our hearts um, a burden for the world around us that you came to save, that Jesus died for. Father, help us not to be apathetic. I pray that you would help us to, to genuinely be burdened deep in our heart that our love for the people around us that don't know you uh, w- would move us to sharing Christ with them, to doing it in a way that is honoring to you, however that looks like for each person that's on our heart right now. We need your wisdom. We need your leading. And Father, we are just, again, deeply grateful for our relationship with you. And it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen.